This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast. As October ends and NLL camps begin, that means games are just a few weeks away. The Warriors and Riptide were two of three teams that got things going this past weekend, so we'll talk to color man Brad Chowner and first overall draft pick Tyson Gibson. All that and more on OTCB. What is good, lacrosse fans, and welcome to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on SoundCloud, NLL Radio, and the Lacrosse Flash. My name is Teddy Jenner. You can find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar, or you can email me teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Happy Halloween. Happy end of October. Happy NLL season. That's right. World Series is over, NHL and NBA are in full swing, and it can only mean that the National Lacrosse League 2019-2020 season is upon us. We are officially a month away. November 29th, we'll have a couple of games on the docket as we kick things off to look for a new champion. Or maybe, maybe we'll have a repeat champion. Regardless... There will be three games on NLL opening weekend, and it kicks off Saskatchewan at Colorado, a rematch of the West semifinals in which Colorado shocked the Rush and Rush Nation as Joey Capito scored that amazing goal on a breakaway in overtime, uh, giving Colorado their first ever win in Saskatchewan, first time they'd won a playoff game uh, against the Rush. There were so many things going into that game against the Mammoth, and somehow Colorado was able to will their way to that victory. They go into Calgary, end up losing to Calgary. But that's how we start the new season. So that's game one, 9.30 Eastern, 7.30 local in Colorado. Rush, Mammoth from the Pepsi Center. A half hour later, we get Roughnecks and Warriors from Rogers, 10 o'clock Eastern, 7 o'clock local. The defending champs getting their season underway instantly. And that will be a very interesting matchup just to see how Calgary comes into play with the maybe quote-unquote championship hangover. Uh, Obviously, this Vancouver Warriors club is trying to create a much-needed identity lift. So we'll see how this new club or the club forms itself because... I really think this might, not a make or break year, but this is a very important year for the Vancouver Warriors organization and their club. They need to show some improvements from last year. They need to show that they can continue to build and grow and create a contender because if they're just going to keep wallowing and spinning their wheels in the mud, they're going to continue to struggle at the gate. And we all know Vancouver fans love winners. Sports fans loves winners. They love to cheer and show up for winners. So the Warriors got to get a hot start out of the gate. As mentioned off the top, we will talk with Brad Chowner, the color man of the Warriors. He was at their camp this past weekend. And there were some surprises. Uh, We all think uh, those that are sort of avid, in-depth followers of the game really think Tyson Rowe has a shot at cracking this Warriors roster 
And the story of Bob the Blade Snyder is a nice one as well. Spent much of the year on and off the roster for the Roughnecks, was uh, scratched for the roster for the playoffs and the championship game, uh, and now he's going to get a shot with the Warriors, and he'll probably be their everyday number one face-off guy unless something strange happens. Apparently he was absolutely dominant at camp. Yes, that shows a lot when his numbers are that high, but Vancouver doesn't really have a strong face-off guy to begin with, so... Snyder was always going to be dominant. It'll be interesting to see if his body can hold up and play an 18-game schedule both at the face-off dot and contribute defensively or in transition or however they choose to use him. Then the third game on opening weekend, Georgia-Rochester, the new-look Rochester 2.0. I like what Mike Hazen and Dan Carey have done. The Nighthawks were the third team to have their camps underway this weekend, along with the Riptide and the Warriors. It'll be another interesting storyline to watch how this team can compete right out of the gate. Because with Steve Fryer and Ryland Hartley, they have a couple young goaltenders that are looking to prove that they can be a number one. A lot of people think after his showing at the Minto Cup that Ryland Hartley could have a similar trajectory of Christian Del Bianco. Now, Del Bianco also had Frank Shiliano and Mike Poulin ahead of him for a few years. Is that the role that Steve Fryer will play in Rochester? Will Fryer actually truly get a shot to be a consistent number one in the National Lacrosse League? He proved it. Um, with Colorado, every time they put him in, he gave them quality minutes, whether as a starter or coming in off the bench for Dylan Ward. He had a up-and-down summer out west just because Langley wasn't as strong as they hoped they were going to be, and so that kind of ballooned Deep's numbers. But knowing Deep, he's going to come in and compete for that number one job with everything that he has, and I think not that he deserves it, but I think he definitely deserves a shot to be that guy. Unfortunately, he's got a young kid in Hartley who is just coming off one of the most amazing summers a goaltender can have and how he played during the Northman Minto Cup run. So Rochester will be a very interesting story all year long. Again, even all the off-floor stuff with a brand-new team, coming to an existing NLL market, as it were, how's that fan base going to accept this new look club? And I'm pretty sure everybody in the city of Rochester and all those guys that are diehard fans like Nabber and Gonzo and Cahawk Cruisin, I'm sure they all have March 14th circled on the calendar four or five times because when the Halifax Thunderbirds come back to the Blue Cross... It is going to be a scene. I really have no idea how that game's going to go. I think there's going to be a lot of booing. But I also think there's going to be a lot of animosity between both clubs and between the fan bases and between everybody that was a part of old Rochester and new Rochester. 
It's going to be very interesting. And I think it's going to be a heck of a lacrosse game regardless, but just another one of those crazy storylines that we're going to follow this year because we only have two technical expansion teams, but we have three new teams. And the Thunderbirds and Nighthawks and Riptide are all going to do everything they can to make sure that their legacy and their start is off to a successful one. So as we mentioned, three teams got camps underway. And first overall draft pick, Tyson Gibson, got a little bit of taste of what life in the National Lacrosse League is going to be about. And when his name was called first overall, I'm sure there were a ton of shocked faces in that green room room where all the players were waiting to hear their names called. And... There were a lot. There was a lot of speculation that Andrew Q was going to go number one overall, and then when they announced Gibson's name, it almost took the air right out of the room, or at least half the room, because half the room was excited and happy for T- Tyson Gibson. The other half were shocked and surprised that it wasn't Andrew Q. But that wasn't something that either of those two young men could control. It wasn't in their hands. The fate was in Reggie Thorpe's hand. And at the end of the day, I truly believe that Tyson Gibson's experience with the Victoria Shamrocks playing in the playoffs and a Man Cup run was a big motivating factor for the Riptide because they got to see how he improves his game over the course of a season, but also how Gibson can take his game to another level when the games are at their biggest. And when Victoria lost Jesse King and they had lost Reese Dutch earlier in the year and when Casey Jackson went down, Victoria needed somebody to step up and that was Tyson Gibson. And Tyson Gibson's game was on display longer than anybody's out of that rookie class. And so the Riptide really got an excellent opportunity to see how he would compete and how he would perform and how he would react on one of the biggest stages in our game. And he was nothing short of fantastic. And I have a real strong feeling that he is going to continue to play at an unreal level now that he's a full-time national lacrosse leaguer. He has NLL pedigree from his father. He's going to have to keep all of his emails and text messages extra cryptic so that Daryl doesn't sneak a peek and find some inside source scoops on how the Riptide will defend the Black Wolves or how they expect to beat them. But obviously, there'll be some tensions around the dinner table during holidays and family meals, but both are great professionals, and Tyson Gibson has a long, bright future ahead of him. After their first camp, I was able to catch up with Gibby, and we talk first camp, we talk Reggie Thorpe, we talk Man Cup, and life on the island. But first, we just talk about what it was like getting together, 
with a new group of guys. Yeah, you know, um, again, I wasn't sure what to expect, but, uh, you know, a lot of guys came out. You know, I think we had around 40 to 50 guys, and, you know, the, ta- the talent was definitely there. Um, it was just, the, you know, the kind of the draft pick rookie. It's kind of an open trial setup. Um, but, you know, talent was there, and uh, sticks were looking good. So uh, it definitely uh, created a little excitement. I know for me and for, for the other guys there, um, they're looking forward to this weekend um, at, the, uh, at the real training camp. So, you know, again, it just kind of created that level of excitement that we need heading into the season. Were there any nerves going into your first pro trial? Uh, not some more nerves. Um, again, just kind of my uncertainty of, of what to expect. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, again, I'm just really excited. Um, I'm sure the nerves will kind of settle in or kick in a little bit as we get closer to the season and whatnot. But, um, yeah, for this weekend, you know, it was, it was more just I'm excited to meet all the guys and, and you know, get things rolling. Obviously, it being sort of a, a rookie free agent camp, were you able to build any chemistry with some of the guys out there in the first couple of days? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, uh, especially for the draft picks, you know, we all kind of head down together. And, uh, you know, we took the shuttle to the airport, spent a lot of time together, had a couple dinners together. So it was really good to, you know, meet those guys and, and create that chemistry early, you know, especially going into to next week's camp with all of us being rookies and whatnot. Um, you know, it's definitely kind of created a sense of comfortability um, heading into this weekend. What do you expect from this weekend? Because now it really starts to get serious. We're going to be a month away from the season starting, and, and teams are going to have to start tearing down rosters. Yeah, I mean, I expect it to be extremely competitive. Um, you know, I mean, there's still, um, you know, everyone's still trying to crack the lineup. And as you said, there's only a month left in the season, which doesn't leave us a lot of time. So, we're going to have to, you know, take every weekend as it's as if it's a game weekend and, and you know, and make sure that we're prepared and, and we get to the necessary levels of, of readiness um, for our first game in Halifax. So, again, just as long as everyone comes um, come in ready to work and, and it'll be a very competitive camp, I'm sure. What have you been doing to make sure that you've been ready for camp uh, away from the team, you know, during the week, Monday, Friday? What have you been really been focusing on to get yourself ready? Um, for me, um, it's just been about recovery and, uh, and more focused on my weightlifting. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously I played, played a bunch this summer and, and with being university playing across four years, you know, I definitely took, um, kind of this first time in four years, first month of, uh, kind of a break from lacrosse. So I, I definitely took a little break from the stick, but, you know, I, I really wanted to focus on, you know, recovering from the main cup and, and focusing on my, uh, on my athleticism. So. A lot of it was just uh, fo- fo- or focused on the uh, on the, the weight room aspect of it. Let's talk about the WA real quick a little bit. How has the past couple of years playing for the Victoria Shamrocks helped you prepare for the National Cross League? Because that jump from junior to senior is always a big one, but the ju- the senior to pro jump is a big bit of a different one for some guys. Yeah, so from, from what I understand is, you know, that jump to the MLL is, is more on – you know, the speed of the game and, mm-hmm. and kind of the IQ aspect of it. I know everyone, I mean, everyone in the MLOs, this is the, the top of the top in talent. So, you know, everyone's high in IQ. And, and so I think the WLA really kind of kind of opened me up to the physicality of what to expect. Obviously, as you said, it's a big jump from junior to senior, um, especially in a league like the WLA, um, where it's a very physical game out there. And, and I think that helped me prepare in that sense. And, you know, just being able to play with the guys I had in Victoria, you know, I was fortunate enough to, 
to play with um, already, you know, NLL proven stars. And, you know, they're able to, to teach me um, a lot of different aspects of the game where I was really immature in coming out of junior. And, you know, I'm sure with their help, it was able to mature me up a little bit. But, again, it's my first year and, and it's going to be a learning process. And, again, I'm just excited to get going and learn from, from my uh, Ripside teammates. The summer didn't go as planned to start. How did sitting out with that shoulder injury kind of prepare you for the drive stretch of the season? Yeah, it was it was the first time I've really been injured and really had to sit out a couple of games. So, again, it was just another learning experience for me. Um, you know, being out was definitely um, tough mentally. Um, but then again, it also allowed me to um, – to kind of be further motivated for playoffs, knowing that my my uh, my teammates were out there day in day out during the season. You know, getting getting us to that point, and you know, I was coming off a, a couple months of recovery, so I was able to you know come in with a little more head of steam, and and uh, it definitely taught me how to kind of handle things mentally um, when injuries come about. So that was uh, again just a really kind of good learning experience for me. Could you ever prepare yourself for the night when Nick Sakevich calls your name? No, um, I, that's a, that was a dream come true. Um, again, as I said it multiple times, you know, it's a dream of mine since I was three. Um, obviously, I was expected um, to get drafted. I just, I, you know, I didn't know where, but, you know, when my when I heard my name, um, I don't even remember how I was feeling. <laughs> I just, just flooded with emotion. And, and honestly, all I can remember is, is walking off the stage and, you know, seeing my dad and mom there with the biggest smiles on their face. And that was just a, a moment I'll cherish forever. Did you know that if you're if you were still around for New England that they were going to pick you and your dad was going to make the pick? Um, I wasn't entirely sure. Um, again, with my dad being in the NLL as a coach, um, we kind of made an agreement um, to kind of keep obviously his affairs in New England kind of aside from me personally. Um, you know, my dad's still very much part of my kind of career. He's he's pretty much my agent, so you know he definitely takes care of me and. And, you know, make sure that, that I'm taken care of. But when it comes to logistics with New England and obviously with me with New York, we, we've kind of had a, a prior agreement to, you know, keep those on, on the down low, at least until it happens. So, um, I mean, I've heard all the projections and stuff, but he never kind of gave me a full answer on that. <laughs> were, you, were you a little surprised when you, you were called first role, or did you kind of have an inkling that New York was going to pick your name number one? Um, yeah, I was extremely surprised. Um, you know, I, I talked to New York a few times throughout the summer. Um, you know, again, they're kind of keeping it close to the chest. So, um, I, you know, I'm sure all of us were a little surprised. So, but again, yeah. it was just flooded with excitement and, you know, I couldn't be happier, um, especially after the weekend, you know, um, with all the support that, you know, we've seen so far in New York, I'm, I'm sure it's going to get bigger and bigger and um, can't wait. You had to sit around for a few hours after your name got called. All the anticipation kind of went away with going first overall. But how fun was it to be able to sit back and watch some former teammates, current teammates, and longtime friends achieve their dreams as well? Yeah, I mean, as much as, as getting drafted was a moment I'll never forget, um, the best part of that weekend was reminiscing with old friends. I mean, the lacrosse world is, sm is small. Um, I've been playing against those guys since, since I started. So, you know, we all know each other. We all know of each other, whether you played with them or against them. So being able to celebrate with them after, especially, um, was, was another, probably the best part of that, that weekend. And, you know, we had a great time and, 
you know, we we're all happy. So again, it was just a, it was a really good weekend for me. Who are you happiest for? You think? Um, you know, Terrence Thompson is is the first mind that comes out to me. Um, I went to high school with Tanner. You know, um, him and his family and his brothers. You know, they've they've been a part of my life since high school. So you know, seeing his name get called up there was definitely um, a really huge accomplishment for him, and I was extremely excited for him. How hard is it going to be to go up against a guy like Tanner Thompson or a guy like Derek Lloyd or you play with him, Victoria? Now you got to go from teammates to enemies. Is that going to be a tough switch for you to pull? Uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. For the D guys that I've played with and who I haven't had a chance to play against yet, um, yeah. obviously practice is practice, but, you know, you you watch them in games and, and you see how good they are. And, and obviously you're never like, I want to play against those guys, but – you know, we'll see what happens this winter, and I'm excited to play, play against those guys like Derek, and I'm sure they're just as excited to play me, and it should be fun. What was it like growing up with your father being a national crossfitter? Because now we're starting to get into the generation of players coming into the league out of college and out of junior lacrosse that are sons of former national crossing players. There's only a few of them kicking around right now. I can think of Gail Thorpe and, and Ryan Keenan and yourself, but what was it like growing up with a with a lacrosse dad? Um, I mean, I owe everything to him and 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 how he kind of um, brought me up in the sport. Um, you know, he brought me around to every every game, every weekend, every practice. You know, allowing me to be in the locker room and you know meeting all of his teammates and stuff. And you know that helped me with everything. You know, I always had a stick in my hand. I was always practicing. You know, I had the benefits of of you know even practicing, not practicing, but you know throwing cats with already professionals at a really young age so I think that really helped me and you know it just kind of furthered my love for the game what's your biggest strength of your game biggest strength uh I would just say my 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 grittiness and unselfishness um you know I'm a player who likes to get in the dirty areas you know I like to set picks for my teammates and you know I feel like um I've kind of made a name for being an off-ball guy so you know I definitely cherish that part of my game do you have a weakness that you would like to exploit? Uh, I definitely have a several weaknesses that uh, I can definitely improve on. Um, you know, again, there's there's a whole wide variety of them, which uh, I'll just continue to work on and get better. I just can't point out one specifically right now. <laughs> well, we don't want to tell the defenders how to D you up, so we won't point out too many weaknesses. Exactly. Right? There you go. Uh, is there a, have you circled looking at the, the Riptide calendar? Is there a game you've kind of circled as one that's going to be maybe the most special for you? Um, I'm sure that first one against New England is going to be extremely special to me. Um, you know, obviously with my dad being on the other side. Uh, one that we don't have this this season is, is my first game back in Toronto will definitely mm-hmm. be a big one. Um, you know, all my friends and family will be able to come out and and actually see what, what really I, um, the league I'm in. Um, obviously, lacrosse is, is not your uh, household name, especially in my city in Vaughan, so I think it'd be a really cool experience for my friends to see what it's actually like. You grew up going to going to a lot of rock games when you were younger. Uh, uh, oh yeah, he, the rock and then the bandits were the two main ones that I remember. But definitely a lot of rock games, considering my dad was on there for a while too. Yeah, that, that must have been a pretty cool experience growing up when when the rock were in the heyday of those you know five six championship runs in the early two thousands. Yeah, the early two thousands I think was. Uh, especially for the Rock, it was definitely just a different part of the sport, um, you know, a different time of it. But I, I just can, I can remember the Rock games being fully sold and, you know, 
um, watch my dad out there. But again, I was so young, so the memories, the memories are a little distorted. But I, I definitely remember how what it was like, and I can't wait to be on the other side. Some more fresh night. memories will probably be uh, your time at Robert Morris. There's been a pretty steady pipeline of Canadians going through Bobby Moe. What makes that program so lucrative for Canadians? Uh, I think it's just the style of play. Um, you know, it's uh, we play a lot of transition, fast pace. Um, we're not really the settled down type. And I think it kind of all fell accustomed to that first group wave of Canadians that came through. So like, like Moose and, and Buchanan and, those are the guys that kind of really implemented that Canadian culture in there. And from then on, um, it's easy for them to recruit Canadians. I mean, there's already a bunch of them on the roster during my recruiting process. And that was definitely a factor in my, in my decision. So um, those are the guys that definitely created that Canadian culture. And, you know, I've just been happy to kind of, kind of keep it going from there. You got to play against a couple of Bobby Moe guys, like you said, and Buchanan and, and Moose at the Man Cup. That was obviously not the way you guys wanted to go. You win game one, but then Peterborough kind of started to flex their muscle. But what do you remember uh, about your first Man Cup experience as a player? Uh, honestly, the crowd. I've, uh, yeah. I haven't really played in front of a, a crowd like that. I mean, throughout the whole, my whole two summers, the Victoria crowd was amazing. But you can just really tell the difference in the Man Cups, just kind of the energy that's going through there. Um, everything is just so much more, so much more real, honestly. And, it kind of hits you like like four more wins and you're a man cup champion. So that was definitely kind of the biggest cha- or thing I realized while playing for the man cup. Does it make you want to work harder to get back there now, having to lose one? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm still young, but um, I mean, three games away and we were so close, especially for the, the young team that we had. And throughout all the adversity and injuries, you know, couldn't be more proud of those guys. But yeah, just definitely getting that close definitely makes a Makes me a little more hungrier going into next year. How have you enjoyed your summers on the island? The island's beautiful. Um, it's it's probably the best time of my life. Um, you know, the organization tre- treated all of us so well, and you know, there's so much things to do out there. And um, honestly, it was yeah, again, it was just one of the best experiences in my life. Well, you got a lot of more experiences ahead of you, my friend. Uh, obviously, the main camp kicking off with the Riptide this weekend. What do you expect? Or what's Reggie Thorpe kind of giving you some things to work on heading into your first main camp? Uh, you know, Coach Thorpe was great this first weekend and kind of just kind of making a making us feel comfortable with him and and with the other with the staff um, being the first time kind of meeting him. But again, he he just told us, you know, he's like, although you got the first weekend out of the way, this is this is it. This is where it starts and. And uh, just make sure to bring your A game and, and get and take care of the bodies during the week and just be ready to go on the weekends. The NLL life is fast approaching, my friend. Uh, Monday to Thursdays are a grind, but Friday through Sundays will be the funnest times of your life. Congratulations on being first overall and welcome to the National Cross League. Uh, we're really excited to watch all the things you do this year, my friend. Great. Thanks, Teddy. Thanks for having me. It's Tyson Gibson, the first overall pick in this most recent NLL draft, a member of the New York Riptide. And you heard him talk at the beginning of the interview about it being basically a rookie free agent camp. And those can be the times where you get a lot of those nerves out. And you can make some of those mistakes early. Especially for a guy you know, like Tyson Gibson, who was a number one overall pick, who's going to be a part of their program for the long term moving forward. He can afford 
in that camp to make some of those simple rookie mistakes and get them out of the way so that when he comes to main camp this weekend, he has all those nerves and butterflies and jitters out of the way. And so he can just get down to competing and doing what he knows he can do. Because I can remember my first camp and we've all played this game for years and years and years. And whenever we pick up our stick, it's second nature. But there's just those times where you get in nervous moments and all eyes are on you and you're trying to make an impression. So you try to do a little too much or you play a little bit outside your game. You hold on to the ball a little too long or you force a pass or you take a shot. You shouldn't have just trying to impress so that you can continue to earn your spot. And so when they have these free agent and rookie camps, it gives players like Tyson Gibson or like a Jake Fox for New York just some time to make some of those simple mistakes and get them out of the way and learn so that next week you're ready to go. It's going to be interesting to watch this New York club. I think they still have some holes to fill. I still think they have some question marks on their roster. So as this camp continues to go along, just kind of keep an eye on the roster movement of, of who's going where and guys that are on the physically unable to perform list because that can be a big telltale sign of things that are to come. I believe that they have put Angus Goodleaf on the pup list. He's still recovering from that injury, a freak injury suffered during the President's Cup. So that leaves the goaltending situation in New York still with a bit of a question mark for me. But there's a lot of time and there's a lot of moving parts still to happen before we get to November 29th. And for New York, they don't start for a couple weeks after that anyway. So they still have a little bit more time, although... Rosters, I believe, have to be in before those first games of the season on the 29th. So I think they'll have to make the decision by then. But they still have a month to figure out who's going to be that guy that's going to be their number one goaltender. Because they don't really have... Like, Bouquet's there, yes. That is a guy that can hold the fort if they need to. They can give him serviceable minutes. David Mather is there. He's a, an American guy that has continued to try and earn a spot in the National Lacrosse League. Can he hold the fort until, you know, this group gets underneath themselves? So a, a young team that will have some growing pains early on, but they have talent on that roster that can allow them to win some early games as a young group. There's going to be struggles. There's no doubt about that. They are going to struggle. But in a division with Georgia, New England, and Philadelphia, you just got to be that second team and you're in the postseason. And again, I've gone on record saying this a few times. I believe Georgia wins that division handily. And so it comes down to New England, Philly, and New York for that second seat. 
probably the advantage goes to the Black Wolves. But we've seen stranger things happen in this National Lacrosse League over the years. The Vancouver Warriors are another team that have had their struggles. Oh, one more thing before we move on from Tyson Gibson. Tyson Gibson has a father, Daryl. We all know Daryl Gibson, National Lacrosse League coach with the Black Wolves, but also a former National Lacrosse League player. Ryan Keenan, National Lacrosse League player, son of Derek Keenan, National Lacrosse League player and coach. Gail Thorpe, National Lacrosse League player, son of former National Lacrosse League player and current NLL coach Reggie Thorpe. We are starting to see the true life next generation of lacrosse players coming into this league. And for a league that has been around for 35 years or whatever it is now, there haven't been too many NLL sons, as it were. But now we've got three in our league. And excuse me if I've forgotten somebody else, but I have been racking my brain trying to think of another NLL son other than those three. But we're going to see more. Teat, Williams, Govett, Hazen, Sanderson, Watson, and the list goes on. So what's really cool about this is now we're starting to get a crop of young kids that have really been around the pro game their entire life. Because as you heard Gibby talk about when I asked him what it was like growing up with a lacrosse dad, he was always at practices, always running around on the turf, going on road trips, a part of championship celebrations, being put into man cups and champions cup trophies. And now they're hearing their name called as first overall draft picks and as national cross leaguers, it is going to be an incredible transition of the game. Now that we're starting to see this, as I called them, the true next generation of national cross leaguers. So again, another, just something that kind of popped into my head when we were having that conversation about, man, what other guys have fathers that were NLLers. And I can only think of those three currently right now. So if you know of another one that I've missed, let me know at off the crossbar on Twitter. Brad Chowner is on Twitter and you can read his stuff at Brad Chow. And if you go to the Vancouver Warriors page, you'll find his write up on Warriors camp day one, two and three this past weekend. I think day one was just physicals and stuff like that but the Warriors are underway and Brad Chowner was there and this is a year for the Vancouver Warriors where I really think they need to find success and Brad will agree with me it's not do or die it's not the sky is falling however at some point this organization needs to make the turn into a competitive team and the lucrativeness of being owned by the Vancouver Canucks and playing downtown in Rogers arena is going to slowly start to have 
its benefits and it's going to slowly start to begin to lure free agents back to Vancouver for a lot of guys that are from this area. I think at some point they would like to play for this team in their own backyard. And when we talked to Dan Richardson uh, before the draft, you know, he talked about how important that was and how important it was for guys to see how well players are being treated now and how much of a culture shift has been made. So while the culture shift has been made off the floor going from the previous ownership group to now being owned by the Canucks, they need to start paying off those efforts on the floor. And this is a team that has added some great free agents already. We mentioned some of them, Bob Snyder, Tyson Rowe, Patrick O'Mara, but probably the biggest one right now is Riley Lowen out the front door. And he gives some more stability to the lefty shooter side. So for me, Vancouver is in a tough spot still in that West Division with five teams because, again, like we talked about, only two from each of the three will make it, plus you'll get two bonus teams. So for Vancouver, they're going to have to do some digging. I think all five Western teams are going to have to do some digging, but Vancouver for me is a team that may have to do the most digging. But as you'll hear from Brad Chowner as we talk, this team is starting to try and get a little grittier, a little more feisty, bigger, faster, stronger. All of those things. But they're trying to do it as a group. And their first week of camp seemed like a lot of guys were on the same page. And I think the guys were were stoked to get back at it. And, you know, it was it was a big camp, large with numbers, large with a lot of the bodies that they brought into that back end. Um, and the intensity was high because there's a lot of there's a lot of jobs on the line in Warriors camp. So I think uh, I think everybody was pleased after weekend one getting after it. I'm sure there's you know a couple of handful of guys that are safe, but what's the biggest hole that needs to be filled for this group right now? I think there is a few heading in to this season, and if you take a step back and look, I think they wanted to address the face-off circle and. Mm-hmm. They've done that by bringing in Bob Snyder, who, you know, had his ups and downs over the last couple of years, but at 34 says he's in the best shape of his life and was absolutely dominant last weekend. And the management staff was almost salivating over what, what he's going to do for this team and, and getting them important ball possessions late in games. They were last in the league last year, somewhere around like 34, 35%. And, you know, and, and Bobby's going to get you 55 to 60. That's going to be, a big difference maker. I think that, you know, as long as he can, he can play responsible defense. Cause we know there's no Fogos in the national lacrosse. You got to be able to play a full-time defensive shift as well. So as long as Bobby can prove that, that he can do that too. Um, I think that's an immediate hole that needs to be filled. Um, I think, I think depth on offense was something they wanted to address. You know, you have to have, you have to have six guys scoring and not four. And I think that that's the real battle. That's fun for me to watch right now is kind of depth lefty and, and depth righty for that matter. Though they trade for, they trade for, or they get the free agent signing of Riley Lowen, which they're they really excited about him choosing to sign at home here. You know, that's not depth to me. That is just, that is a, that is a top three lefty. He's going to be playing 
as many minutes as Logan Schuss and, and Mitch Jones are going to be doing on that side. So that's not depth. It's the guy underneath that. It's it's Brody Eastwood. It's John Phillips. And it is Lyndon Bunio trying to get that, that fourth, maybe fifth lefty spot, depending on how they decide to draw this roster up. And so that's a place to watch. I think Eastwood looked really good on Sunday. And then the same thing on the righty side. Like, you know, Mallory, you can kind of pencil Mike Mallory in, but he's got guys pushing him in Colton Clark, who had a pretty good Sunday, um, you know, and, and Chase McIntyre looked, looked pretty good there as well. And they don't want to give up too early on on the rookie Keegan Bell, too. So a lot of these guys are going to have a shot to, to, to make this roster and make this team deeper. One of the things I've noticed about this Warriors club this year, especially coming into camp, is the amount of size that they've added. You bring in O'Mara, you bring in Keegan Bell, you bring in Chase McIntyre, and, of course, the 6'10 monster in Tyson Rowe. Is getting bigger and more physical uh, a strength of this club going into the new season? I think they definitely wanted to address size. And, yeah, that was the one thing. As soon as he walked into the LEC last weekend, it's like, whoa, this is – this is a big team. Logan Schuss looks small. And I've like, you know, Logan Schuss is 6'1", 6'2", and he looks small out there compared to some of the defensive players that, uh, that he was lining up against. And, you know, I think they want to be, they, they, they were a tough team last year. Like we might have had the, the, the speed and the size that other teams did, but when you had the Porters and Barker and Tyler Codron and these grizzled summer vets, you know, they were a mean and angry and, and pretty physical across you. So I don't know if it's necessarily that that they're looking to address, bringing in these big guys like Tyson Rowe, like Patrick O'Meara, and some of those long legs, I think for me is for those guys to to get up the floor. And they're going to help in that department. Like, yeah, they're going to play responsible defense too, but I think where they really wanted to address with, with guys like Rowe is is transition. And, you know, we saw what Tyson did at the World Championships. I think he's gotten a lot stronger on the ball. He's not as easy to strip when he gets on the run. And, you know, 6'10 in full stride with better ball handling ability, that, that is a tough freight train to stop heading up the floor. So, for me, it was, you know, the size is there, but they need those big guys like Omira and like Tyson Rowe to be, to be athletic and, and to get up the floor as well. Was Chris O'Doherty in camp this weekend? OD was out there, yeah. OD um, looks like he's shaking off the rust a little bit, and he'll be the first one to admit that for you. But um, he he was go he was going hard, and you know the Warriors I think missed him a lot last year, and that's going to be a roster spot that's going to be taken up right away too. OD is going to be a, a full time full time National Lacrosse League player again, and just makes the Vancouver Warriors that much more you know quicker and, and tough to play against right away. Free agency is going to have to be a big part of Dan Richardson's M.O. over the next couple of years, obviously, because they don't have a lot of draft picks. Uh, was Brent Adams there this weekend? Brent Adams there this weekend, too. Yeah. And I know that they're, Chris Gill is really high on Brent Adams. You know, he was obviously there with Chris in, in Colorado and has only got into a handful of games over, what, three seasons with the Mammoths. And I know that yeah. he's, he's hungry. And, you know, we saw what he did in the, in the PLL this year. He's going to be one of the most athletic guys on the floor. Um, you know, I didn't notice him a ton out there, but that's something that you don't – if he's going to be starting out of the back end and bringing the ball up, yeah, maybe you don't want to notice him because he's not making mistakes. He didn't jump off the page on the run in transition like even a, a Lloyd or a, or a Minicello did on weekend one for me. But I know that, uh, that the staff is really high on – on Brent Adams' athleticism and, and just how hungry he is because that's Dan's M.O. is bringing in 
guys who want a second chance and can prove themselves like your like your Jordan McBrides and your your Keegan Balls of the last couple of years? Obviously, the Toronto Rock have really benefited over the years of hometown guys wanting to play there. Are we starting to see with guys like Riley Lowen and Aaron Bold and maybe even Bob Snyder, guys who are kind of from this area-ish and wanting to play a little bit closer to home and getting a chance to play for Vancouver, are we going to start to see that tipping point with this Vancouver club? Or is it not going to happen until they start winning some games? No, I think I think we're seeing that. Like I, I know for a fact that in year one there were some free agents that the Warriors were talking to that didn't choose to sign and went elsewhere, went went down the coast or went to different places to play because it was such an unknown mm-hmm. what they were going to get at Rogers Arena. How was the team going to be received? How were they going to be on the floor? But you know, though they only won five games last year, the, the league is so tight knit that that guys start talking to each other and they're like, Hey, how was year one? And they start talking about the way that they were treated by, by the Canucks organization. They start talking about, you know, the vision from Chris Gill and what this team can become. And Riley Lowen would have had options. Tyson Rowe had options and those guys chose based on what they saw last year and what they believe in this club to be um, signing here. And I don't think we saw that, a year ago, and I don't think we saw that sometimes with with the former Vancouver franchise. But I think now they've they've gotten a taste. They've seen that maybe they've even played a game in Rogers Arena like Lowen would have had last year. And went, wow, this is actually pretty sick atmosphere, and mm-hmm. I trust the vision of the future. And and now this is a place to sign. So yeah, I definitely think uh, I definitely think it's changed. Maybe one question mark that's out there is the goaltending situation. They got four guys in camp: uh, Bold, Penny, Gallant. Uh, and Nolan Clayton, is it Bold's job to lose? You think? Uh, I, you know, I'm looking for a big, big bounce back year from Aaron Bold. You know, I think the way that last season ended, it might almost be Eric Penny's job mm-hmm. to lose. You know, like he really took the reins at the end of last year, and I know that that Boldy had a tough season um, uh, on and off off the floor, and probably on the floor based on what was happening off the floor in his life. And I, I don't have an update on, on what's going on there, but it seems to be that he's in a bit of a better headspace right now. And, you know, I think they're, they're going in probably, I don't think anybody's anointed right now. There's no, yeah. you're our number one. I think it's going to be a fight and whoever comes out of camp, the better man is going to be the one. But I, yeah, I think it's Eric Penny's job to lose and, and bold needs to come and prove that he can still be, be a champion and a contender. One month away from the home opener against the defending champs, the Calgary Roughnecks. How exciting is November 29th going to be inside Rogers? You know, it's it's crazy, man. Like, I I can't wait. I'm relating it to sort of how the Canucks season is right now and how fast you watch that team and the fan base turn around based on the buzz that's around the Vancouver Canucks right now. And I think that CSE and the Warriors and sports fans in Vancouver – can maybe expect the same and then and then show up the same way that they're doing for the Canucks. Because we know this is a bit of a bandwagon town. We know it's a finicky town. But when there's some buzz and excitement around a team, people are going to show up. And it's up to the guys on the floor to, to make them want to keep coming and, and come back again. So, yeah, I think there's a real buzz. I think the team's getting treated really well. There's some new banners outside of Rogers Arena. So the Warriors are literally just as prominent on Abbott Street 
and Expo Boulevard as the Canucks are as far as big banners and stuff outside. Um, marketing campaign is going to start rolling out. The, the boys on social are starting to click. So, yeah, I feel, I'm feeling it, man. And it's nice to see. I, I like the schedule this year. They've got, I think it's six Friday nighters out of the nine games. Um, and it's a nice way to it's a nice way to establish a bit of a routine because they didn't have that last year. They had like they went you know three three or four Saturdays in a row to start the season. Then they were six weeks away from home, came back, and it was like Friday, Sunday, Friday, Saturday to wrap things up. And I don't think there was any real rhythm there for the fans. But to Ooh. have six Friday nighters this year that you can pencil in and know, okay, I can get off work Friday night and I can walk down and get a bite to eat and then go to Rogers Arena, I think kind of creating a habit is going to be is going to be good for this team in this city. Three games at home to start November 29th, and they're off for a couple weeks. Uh, when the new New York Riptide come to town and they finish the homestand on a Sunday against San Diego. But how important are those first three home games? Like you said, build that momentum, build some energy within that building because, like you said, winning fans will show up more than fans who are watching a team lose. Yeah, exactly. And and none bigger than night one against the defending champions. So a real chance to – you knock off the defending champions at home on the home opener to start the season. That's going to get – that's going to get people talking. And then you got the curiosity of an expansion team coming in and the rivals that they're trying to build with San Diego and Vancouver, both working together to try to make this a West coast rivalry. Just so have them in right off the bat, I think is big and to try to get a win off those guys. Um, it's going to be, it's going to be fun, man. It's going to be fun. And those are going to be massive. I, I like, I like the way that their, their bye weeks break out this year. It's kind of really spread out. So they've got a real yeah. chance to, to pick up some steam throughout the year and not have it halted by, by a really bad schedule. Like I've seen some teams sort of having to deal with. So yeah, home opener and start from there and, uh, and build it out from there. A bit of a new look NLL with three divisions, but the West stays the same, but only two, maybe three teams will make it. Is Vancouver going to be able to get in there and make a playoff? Time will tell Teddy. Time will tell. <laughs> Looking what for bold predictments right now. <laughs> they, they've, I, I honestly believe, and not just because I've, I'm the color commentator for the team and the analyst, man. I, I believe in this team. I believe in this team. I believe they can be a playoff team again and soon. You know the way I look at it. They've got to be better than. They've got to be better than San Diego. And they've got to be better than Colorado. And Colorado's had some growing pains have you have you seen firsthand and I think they're going to be in real tight against Vancouver this year and, and San Diego in a sophomore season as an expansion team is I think is completely unknown right now like they're going to miss some big guys from last year they've had some signings but I think there's a lot of question marks around the San Diego Seals so they have to win the season series with both those two teams they have to you know at least try to split or get a win not get swept by Calgary and Saskatchewan and I think they'll be they'll be sitting pretty good at the end of the year if they can make those things happen. Get the season series against San Diego and Colorado. Don't get swept by Calgary and Sask. And you know I think uh, I think an eight and ten season could get you into the playoffs. And I think that's uh, that's that's totally doable by this team. And you know what? I don't think it's out of the realms of possibility for the Vancouver Warriors to get there. I think they're going to have to get an incredible year from their goaltending. And the biggest question is, can Aaron Bold bounce back? Or will Eric Penny supplant Bold as the number one? 
And yeah, Eric Penny was the guy down the stretch for the Warriors. I still think Vancouver has a lot of faith in Aaron Bold. But for me, I just I think that's one of their weaker parts of their roster. I think they've gotten better with Riley Lowen. I would love to see them give Colton Clark a real shot on that right-hand side. James Ray has progressed nicely into a defensive tranny guy, so there's some opening on that right side. They're going to get Joel McCready back. That gives them some grit. Keegan Ball and Jordan McBride are only going to continue to build their relationship out the front door, so their offense is going to be in a good place. Defensively, I think adding Tyson Rowe is not only big, literally and physically, I think it gives them some much-needed transition size. And if you watched any of the Man Cup this past year, you saw how effective their big guys were for the Peterborough Lakers. When you can have guys with 6'6", 6'7", 6'8", and in Tyson Rose's case, 6'10", wingspan, who can not only be physical can cover a lot of ground, but can get up and down the floor with consistency, both shooting and scoring and holding on to the ball. That is a new type of lacrosse player that I want to see more of. Big, giant monsters who can run the floor. And if Vancouver can, like Brad said, win some series against Calgary and Colorado, split the series with maybe San Diego and Saskatchewan, if they can somewhere find a nice cohesion in that Western division and give them a real shot and steal some games on the road, yeah, this could be a playoff team. But in a five-team Western division, every game is going to count. So it will be very interesting. I use that word a lot. I've noticed as I've recorded the show, I've said interesting probably a dozen times. But it will be to watch how this team progresses. And if there is any sign of desperation or they lose a couple of those first games at home, how this team can react to adversity. Chris Gill will have his team prepared every time they step on the floor. But whether they can actually execute the message from their head coach and get stops when they need it, get stops when they probably shouldn't have to get the stop or be able to make that stop. The West is going to be fun to watch. I think San Diego's gotten better. Colorado has done nicely through the draft to add more youth. They've gotten better. Saskatchewan always improves. Like the West got better throughout. And they're all chasing Calgary, the defending champs. I'm excited for this Western division this year because there's going to be a lot of intense battles that go right down to the wire. And I'm sure the West will probably be the division that adds a third team. Heck, what if they add the two extra teams, right? Because you get the top two from each division and two extra teams. What if the two extra teams came from the West? I guess it's possible, right? That'd be pretty cool. Um, 
so that was the Warriors. That was the Riptide. The Rochester Nighthawks also got underway. Now most teams are going to get their camps underway this weekend now that we are through Halloween. And as we get closer and closer to the season, we'll continue to check in on all the teams and see how they are progressing. We'll look in with some more of the 2019-2020 rookie class. We'll check in with veterans and coaches and whoever else is out there. Uh, speaking of coaches, if you weren't reading the social media wires, the Buffalo Bandits decided not to renew the contract of Rich Kilgore, which surprised and shocked many. And maybe even more surprising is that his replacement will be the GM of the Bandits, Steve Dietrich, who will just play a little double duty. Now, in reading some of the comments from within the Bandits organization, they felt that with Chugger already having a strong knowledge of both the players and the system that they run defensively, it allowed them to keep the cohesion and familiarity on that bench. I get that. But with no real explanation as to why Kilgore's contract wasn't renewed, Bit of a head-scratcher. So if there's a team out there looking for a coach maybe in the first few weeks of the season if things don't go as planned, I would imagine that Richie's number is at the top of most GM's list right now for plan B, as it were. It'll be interesting. There, did it again. One last one before the show is over. Uh, thanks to Tyson Gibson for checking in with us after his first National Lacrosse League camp. And thanks to the Chancellor, Brad Chowner, uh, for giving us an update on Vancouver Warriors. That's it for this week. My name's Teddy Jenner. You can find me at Off the Crossbar or email me teddy.jenner at gmail.com. National Lacrosse League camps are a go. Regular season. One month away. Be safe tonight. Happy Halloween, everybody. Check your candy. And if you got extras, I'll send you my address. Until next time, be excellent to each other. I am an outlaw.